I'm Alice Thornycroft and this is Brilliant Minds in Conversation, the podcast series where we share the insights and stories of individuals who have performed at the very top of their careers. And as is customary in these podcasts, I'm going to invite Harvey to explain how we first came to work with our distinguished guest today. Without revealing their name, Harvey, please can you share with us the story behind our special guest? So I sat in the summer watching this amazing summer of sport and this particular person just absolutely excelled. It was extraordinary. And lo and behold, on a Monday morning, my client asked me whether I could speak to this person to get her to an event at the Hurlingham Club, which I thought was impossible. I sent an email and within 10 minutes she responded. No agent, no barriers. And suddenly when I get to October... She's at the event with a mum who's flown in from Doha, probably the two easiest people I've ever dealt with in my life. So that's why I would like to have this person do this particular podcast. Thank you, Harvey. And for those of you who haven't already worked it out, our brilliant minds is Ailish McColgan. Ailish is a three-time Olympian, British 5,000-metre record holder and European medalist. She is also a Scottish record holder over 3,000-metre steeplechase, 5,000-metre and 10-mile road. Welcome, Ailish. Nice to see you. Thank you. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. And what our listeners don't know is we are fortunate enough today to also have Ailish's coach here. And Ailish's coach is actually her mum, the wonderful Liz McColgan, British former track and road running athlete, best known for winning the gold medal in the 10,000 metres at the 1991 World Championships and two-time gold medalist at the Commonwealth Games. So welcome, Liz, too. Hello. Hi there. I'd love to start talking to you, Ailish, if I may, about your childhood. I understand you're the eldest of five children. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up in a big family. I'm the oldest of my siblings by quite a long way. So to be honest, the majority of my childhood was uh, just me. (laughs) It wasn't until my mum had ended her career that she then had the rest of uh rest of our family i was a surprise i think uh i don't think i was planned with regards to my mum was in like the real peak part of her career um and then yeah i i popped out so it was a very different childhood for me because i was an only child as i said for a long time and then all of a sudden i had all these siblings but there's a huge gap between us um, my next sibling is nine years uh, younger than myself so i never felt like I, I didn't really, I suppose, understand, I think, what my parents did as jobs. I knew that they run and they run every day, but I just thought that everyone's parents ran every day. It wasn't until I went to school and I realised like that's pretty weird. Like not everyone's parents are, are athletes and not everyone likes to go out for running, running twice a day every day. And I also never really had any awareness of like, I suppose, my, the level that my mum competed at. But you, you don't as a kid, like if someone says, oh, it's amazing, your mum's a world champion, you think, oh... It's my mum, like, that's cool. But you don't you don't know what that means. You can't grasp what it takes to become a world champion. So it wasn't really until I probably got to high school and there were certain things. I remember the first ever race I went to, my mum was getting, like, crowded by all these kids and families and people wanting pictures with a big... This was back in back in the old days. <laughs> no digital cameras, no phones, but it was, like, people wanting autograph cards and I was like, oh, this is weird, like... That's the first time I sort of realised who my mum was. Before then, like, they never took me... I think everyone imagines that, like, they took me to the track and, like, forced me to watch them running at the track. I didn't really. I was with my dad. Mum would be out training. And then I, I never had that sort of awareness, I think, of, of running. 
yeah, it came very naturally, I think, to me. I wanted to do it because I wanted to do it, which I think was really important. Um, and Liz, did you make a conscious decision not to bring Ailish to the track for a reason, or was that...? Yeah, I did. Um, when I was growing up, um, like my mum and dad didn't even weren't, weren't even aware that I was going running and things. Like, So I, I kind of did it all off my own back. You know, I jogged down to train, I jogged back from training. And when I was at the club, and you know, I'd be like 14 and 15, I would see these really pushy parents and kids actually crying, you know, because parents were forcing them into running and, you know, they didn't want to do it. And I always said in the back of my mind that, you know, I would never, ever, you know, if I ever have a child, I would never make them do that. So it stuck with me quite a lot in my mind when, especially when Ayla started running, I was like, you know, and I had the child, I was like, um, I'm not going to actually make her feel she has to do it you know I wanted like when when Ailish was young like we used to do running games and she wouldn't even know she was doing them but you know we had like this laugh and we'd be timing her and she'd be like oh did I get a PB did I get a PB and all this sort of stuff but you know it was just fun games with her and I never ever wanted her to feel that pressured into doing running just because I'd done it so I actually went to the extreme you know I put her into all other sports you know I wanted her to find something that she wanted to do and really enjoy it you know she was a good golfer great netball player great hockey player and horse riding she was really good at horse riding when she was young so you know she got access to trying to give all these different sports but running you know when she got to 12 just kept coming back to her and it's something that she just grasped and it wasn't because of me running it was she enjoyed it herself and she actually got into running from the PE teacher just seeing obviously she's a McCollagan so we'll put her in the cross country race she must be good and I think she finished second actually I don't think she but... won it any but she you know um, her and her pal came back and we're just buzzing they were like oh, I'm going to join a running club and I said yeah. to her well if you're going to join a running club you'll join my running club so uh, you know I forced her into the whole harriers but, um, and I said to her and then like you know if you stick it out for a year then you know I'll get involved because you know kids always chop and change you know and um and and you knew within sort of five months, you know, she wasn't going to, you know, she just loved it. She loved the social side of it and her friends were all there. And um, and then I started coaching her. So, you know, it was very much Ailish's decision to actually get into running. Although, you know, we knew from a very, very young age she was good at running because from the little games that we were doing with her, she was never running out of energy. You know, she was uh, she just moved so well, even as a youngster. But um, yeah, it was definitely down to her to get into athletics. And that's interesting saying she moves so well. Now, is that because you are, you know, you're now obviously coaching Liz that you noticed that? Or was that just you were aware of that when she was growing up as a wee child? You know, I, I was unfortunate that my coach died when I was 17. So I kind you know, I was self-coached pretty much all my career. So I learned an awful lot very quickly about my distance and endurance running. And um, you could just see from her, her movement skills that it was effortless. A lot of other kids would be running and, you know, there'd be arms and legs out and whatever, and, and Ailish would just flow, you know, she just had that movement right naturally, whether it's genetic, because her dad was a runner and I'm a runner, and, you know, so obviously, you know, she was a racehorse, probably worth thousands, but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, she um, she's definitely genetically linked to do it, but even genetically linked to do it doesn't mean to say you're necessarily going to do it. Um, you know, she had the mindset as well and the love for it as well, which, you know, when you've got the passion, as Ailish did at a very young age, you, you know, you can just see that there's something different there in them. And how important, Ailish, was the Hawkhill Harriers Club for you in terms of your development as an athlete? Yeah, it was massive. Like, I, the first time I went along to the club, I tried all different events. So it wasn't just running, as my mum said. Like, I was doing javelin, I was doing high jump, um, sprint hurdles. Like, I did it all. But for me, 
running at the time distance running was 800 meters was the longest you could run at that age but it was the one that I enjoyed the most and I think just being at the club it was the social element for me which was really important I felt like for the first time I had these other kids that like had the same passion the same hobbies like we all had the the qualities that just aligned towards sport rather than at school. I felt like they had become, the, the friends that I made at the club are still some of my best friends to, the, to this day. Uh, I feel like in school you sort of lose touch with people and people move on and grow up and, and uh, evolve and go into different paths of life. But in athletics, it's just similar mindsets, I think. I think and you really do connect with those people. And I think for me... It was part of why I continued in the sport, even when things wasn't going very well throughout puberty and growing pains and throughout school and university. I still always had this really good group of friends at the club that I would I wanted to go along on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, even if running was going bad and I wasn't performing very well. I wanted to be there because I didn't want to miss the chat. I didn't want to miss seeing my friends. So there was a huge social element to that. And I, I think that's why I've continued in the sport. I definitely think it's the club and the gl- club community, the environment that you're in that has allowed me to I suppose just not lose my love for sport I think a lot of kids come into sport and lose track and don't don't enjoy it anymore for me that was never never a problem I always had other people there to to really help me um keep that that enjoyment when when things got tough and then of course my mum came down and was was coaching us so having that knowledge and that insight into someone who's been there and done it I think a lot of the young kids that would join us had a lot of respect for my mum for what she had done before so it's very easy to to learn and to really channel in and take on board someone's views when they've been there they've done it they've got the t-shirt they've they're, they're world champion they cannot you can't get any better than a world champion coaching you so yeah I think we were very very lucky at the club the it's definitely a huge huge part of of my career and it it feels to me when you describe it that it was a very kind of family orientated club and obviously Liz you were there as a as an athlete and you did mention your coach and there was a sad story there wasn't there in terms of your coach yeah um I started running around about the same age as Irish I was uh, going into first year at secondary and um a PE teacher was a marathon runner and he used to put us out on cross-country runs and things and um I was probably one of the very few kids that you know, I, I wasn't a talented runner, but I was a stubborn runner. I would never give up, and I'd run the whole way without stopping. So he advised me to go along to the local Hockle Harriers, and um, I met a coach there called Harry Bennett, and he took me right under his wing. He's probably the first person in all of my career that actually gave a second of his time to quite an unruly child and say that, you know, you could become something. And he, he just put a seed in my head that completely changed my world. And um, if I hadn't went along to that club and met him, I wouldn't be the person I am today, that's for sure. And I wouldn't have the ethos that I've got on endurance running if it wasn't for him, because he used to put books to me and he used to educate me in training and things. But unfortunately, he died when um, I was like just turning 18. Um, so he never got to see anything that I did. But even when I was 17 and 18, he used to say to me, you're going to do amazing things in 10,000 metres. And um, so I was just unfortunate that he didn't get to see the end product but um, was a massive influence and the Hockle Harriers always had a special place in my heart because I think it's a great club. It is a family-oriented club. It's You know, Dundee is not an affluent town. It's um, a town where there's a lot of unemployment and the club really is a lifeline to some kids and it was a lifeline to me when, when I started running. I think that I was very, very fortunate to uh, meet up with the coach that I did, but even more fortunate to 
actually become a coach to the group that I had because I had an amazing group of kids all dedicated, really nice, you know, friends to each other, but really dedicated in their own ways. You know, we had Scottish champions from 800 metres um, right through to 5K. We had cross-country champions and they were coming from Edinburgh, they were coming from Glasgow. It wasn't just from the Dundee area. So, you know, we were very, very fortunate at the time when Ailish was around about 16, 17. We probably had one of the strongest squads in the UK for training and endurance. It was so good. And I think that that really helped um, because they were all about the same age group, a couple of people a couple of years older, a couple of people a couple of years younger. But when you go through that transition from, you know, Ailish touched on it, you know, from going from, like, teenager, leaving school, going into university, it's a big transition for any kid, not not just, you know, talented athletes. And you lose so much. And I think if Ailish hadn't had that group around her, you know, there was... Probably, you know, a chance that she probably wouldn't have made it through either. But um, and it was great to see the Commonwealth Games because, like Jenny, her friend who was in that group, was actually running the 800 meters. And you know, first first ever Commonwealth Games. Yeah, it was it was strange to see it and to see the two of them there. You know, even though I'm not coaching Jenny, I was just so proud to see her there. And then you know, we had a couple of the friends that had come through as well to see cheer you on from that group. And it's the first time I think that I'd seen, and in my mind's eye, they were still like 15 and 16, and two of them were married to each other, and I just couldn't get my head around it. <laughs> like, Graham, one of, our friends, one of our friends, Graham, said, he said he was having a beer in front of my mum, and he said he felt so awkward, because he was like, oh my God, it's Coach Liz, she's going to get me in trouble for having it. a beer. He was actually hiding it. He's a grown it. man. He said, why are you With hiding that beer? children. <laughs> Oh. But, um, so it, you know, it, it was does, really special to have everyone there. It was, it was really special, and to see them all evolve and develop in the way that they did into great adults. But um, we were very, very fortunate that we we did have a great bunch of, of kids, sort of fourteen to seventeen at that time in Scotland. And you, obviously, Eilish, you you have you did a degree in maths and accountancy, I and mean, you did that at Dundee University. Was that because you wanted to stay where you were training, or you just that was convenient? What was um, the reasoning? Yeah, there was a few reasons. Like I had, I wanted to do something that wasn't in sport because I was obviously so involved in athletics. But at that point, like I'd never, I never thought I would that running would be a full time job for me. I was like talented, but I wasn't at the level of making like GB teams or anything. I only qualified for my first GB team when I was 21. So that was towards the end of my university. So I went to university thinking, right, I need a a job, (laughs) a proper job. For me, I wanted to do something that I felt like if running didn't go my way, then I had another outlet, uh, another output that I could focus and put all my attention into in case I stopped enjoying running because I didn't know if I was going to enjoy it for the rest of my life or not so maths was something I really enjoyed at school decided that maths and accountancy would be the degree that I would maybe enjoy the most I had quite a few like opportunities for scholarships in America um similarly because my mum went my mum and my dad both went on scholarships to the states but it felt like it was just a very large move away. Like I obviously had such a brilliant group of friends at the club. They were really like my second family. And so I decided not to do it. Uh, and I decided to stay in Dundee just because I had the good good support system already around me. There was a few times I thought over the years, I looked back and thought, oh, should I have gone to the States? Would it Was that a missed opportunity? But now when I look back, I know it was the right thing. Um, I haven't used an ounce of my degree to this day, so <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that on a podcast. Inspire, inspire the children, um, but I. You have it. Yeah, <laughs> I have it, and like I actually didn't finish. I didn't do my um, 
final honorary honours year because I qualified for the Olympic Games. So I had to make a decision. I was working part time uh, in in sweatshop in Dundee and at university full time, and then I made the Olympics, and it was a bit like, wow, what do I do? I've just <laughs> made the Olympic Games out of nowhere. Do I take this opportunity? So I said to my university. I'm going to take a year, I'm going to do the Olympic Games and then I'll be back mm-hmm. and I'll finish my final year. And we're <laughs> done, God knows how many years later and I never went back and finished that final year. But um, I still have obviously my ordinary degree. Yes. Um, but it's not, uh, to be honest, I'm so involved in in athletics now with regards to coaching. I've got my own coaching business with my partner the charity side that we do through giving back to track I have my own not-for-profit that we run like I'm so involved in athletics I cannot see myself going into maths or being an accountant or being a math teacher or whatever I was thinking I was going to do I just feel so far removed from that now so yes I have it but it's it's not something I'd say I'm uh, actively pursuing right now but I would have thought you obviously collect a lot of data on yourself you're analyzing performance over your training period over competition presumably having a math mathematical brain is quite helpful in that yeah, regard I'm, very, I, I'm definitely very like illogical and you're more I was going to say airy fairy and that's such a, such a nasty way to say it yeah. but de- mum's definitely more like creative visual like visualizing everything I'm just like numbers facts yeah she's great if you need to get somebody's phone number and you can't remember it she's like <laughs> yeah that's all memory. that's she all good for me number it's great um, but yeah definitely with regards to like um running splits times laps all of that like I that interests me a lot I like to know in training exactly what pace I need to run what splits I need to run all that information is on my watch I then write it into my training diary every day so yeah I'm very mathematical in that sense but um yeah profession wise it's just not something I've looked into just yet but it's nice to have something to fall back on because you never you never know what will happen tomorrow because I was um when I was researching to speak to you both I was looking at some articles and we have a a sort of friend called Andrew Steele who runs the DNA fit Yeah, yeah and I was fascinated to see that you discovered you have a thirty a sixty three percent power to thirty seven percent endurance ratio. Yeah, did that surprise you when you discovered that? To be honest, not massively. No, because mm. a lot of my training is quality based, and my mum will say that herself. Like, I'm definitely not someone who will do loads of high mileage at a slow pace and run fast from it. I need to have quality. So it's not so much the typical stereotypical thing you think in your brain it's more quality over quantity and that's made actually a lot of sense for me I'm definitely someone that operates a lot better off of quality more intense training more specific training than long yeah unspecific work that's the sort of training that seems to work best for me long slow Yeah, yeah definitely more short intense um yeah quality over quantity but that was different for you Liz when you yeah. were training yeah complete although, opposite uh, although the no no um very similar actually similar. because even similar. as a even as a marathon runner um I still did a lot of quality track work, work to bring that to the marathon with me mm-hmm. but the, I think genetically and I've never been tested for the side though but genetically I think that we're built for endurance anyway I think the endurance part's quite in us yes like you know we, we can 
they just wind us up and let us go and we yeah, can run keep going all day. yeah you know we can go running all day um so really it's the quality that you need to bring to your performance uh, to your training to get the performance because that's the easy part is the long slow mm-hmm. i mean you know we can, we can both run for miles but bringing the quality of speed to it is where you get the, perf- the top performance and everybody's different and everybody's sort of engine is different and the way that Ailish and myself have built is quite similar in the fact that the the sort of more intense not sprint work but the more intensity of endurance of pace we bring that with us and and then that marries itself really well with what genetically I think is there already for us we don't need to work so hard on the long slow Mm -hmm. we need to keep working on on to bring the optimum speed up so that we can bring that to the, the party with us like yeah so you just don't ever hit the wall no, I went for a thirty mile. One, I, I once say I met a, a lady Greta Veitch. She was um, a mentor of mine for a couple of years towards the end of my career, and I met her in Florida. And um, I remember having a conversation with her saying, "I never hit this wall. I don't know what's going on." And back in the day, I didn't take these gels and drinks and all that. I wasn't, you know, we, we just didn't do that. Science wasn't there, I suppose. But anyway, um, I remember saying to her, "Oh, I never hit the wall," and we said, "Right, okay, we're going to run to hit the wall." And we did this five mile loop, and I got to thirty miles and I says, "I'm not doing another lap." <laughs> I'm not going 35 miles because my legs were still, and we were clipping along at a good pace, you know, it wasn't like a slow run, we were still about 230 marathon pace or whatever, and um, and so I stopped at um, 30 miles and then she said to me, I'll tell you what, we'll go for a run at night and then I hit the wall, and if we went for a three mile <laughs> run I could hardly walk <laughs> Eilish, can you tell us a little bit, or give us a little insight into a, a typical day, I mean there may not be a typical day for you, but I'm just thinking for our audience, it would be really interesting to sort of hear from you what a typical day would be when you're in your sort of, you know, as a full-time athlete when you're training. Training twice a day, every day. I have, I do have a day off, a scheduled day off. I find that for me, that allows me to be more consistent, less illnesses, uh, less like niggly injuries. Um, For me, illness is probably the biggest one. I travel a lot, so you're just around so many different people, especially in this COVID pandemic era. It's difficult to um, avoid illness with so much of it going around. But for me, having that rest day just allows my body to reset, even mentally, just have that day to just recover and, and get ready to go again. But yeah, twice a day, not running though. So I'll run in the morning and in the evenings I will either cross train of some uh, some form. So that could be aqua jogging, it could be, um, which is essentially just running in, in the water. Uh, it could be cr- cross trainer in the gym, like an elliptical machine or on a spin bike. Um, it's quite unusual for an athlete to do that, but I've had two previous um, serious injuries in my left foot. I have seven screws and a metal plate. So cross training has had to be like quite a large part of my program just because initially it was because of the pain. I had too much pain in my foot when I came back from the second surgery. It was so painful to even run that I could run once a day, but the mentally going out for another run in the evening, it just wasn't going to happen. So I started cross training and it seemed to be another way that I could maintain fitness, but not get the same injuries as before. So typical routine would be a yeah, run in the morning, cross train in the evening two days a week will be a hard session on the track so that could be mile repeats 400 meter repeats k repeats all on the track off of uh, different recoveries and then a long run every week as well so it's quite a similar format to be honest that most runners would follow even back in my mum's day that they would follow you do a session this day this day this day and a, and a long run and a day off but the only difference really is that I have a lot of 
cross training implemented into there that's probably quite unusual at this level to have um, so much in there but it works for me and I have to do something a little bit different in order to stay healthy and not to put too much stress through through that that foot in that one area it's definitely one of my something that I'm very I was going to say scared of but not scared of but I'm very delicate of especially like what shoes I wear where I go for a run the terrain I run on like that's why I I don't do cross country anymore for that reason I can't afford to twist my ankle and and break it again if it goes again that that'll be it I got told in the second surgery that first surgery sorry I would never run again I had a second one so I it's not worth the risk for me so I'm very delicate with my feet and where and how I look after them. So no high heels then? No, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to have to very soon because I've got a few awards ceremonies and I'm, I, yeah, it, I'm going to have to wear something a little bit more comfortable, but certainly not the heels I used to wear at university, that's for sure. Those days <laughs> those days are long gone, long gone. And in terms of um, being able to maintain what is a really busy schedule and looking after yourself so well, I mean, what I love when I talk to athletes is the care and attention that you have to your own body and how much feedback you get and how well you know yourselves. And for people out there who might not be athletes, I'm really interested to understand that sort of rigor that you apply to that side of your life. So your resting heart rate, indicators where you know you're not quite right today and what you do about that, if anything. I can definitely tell from my body, like, for example, just the other day I did a run just coming off the back of my break. I did a run on the treadmill and straight away. I can just sense if something's not quite right. I think that just comes from years and years of experience of of running and knowing your body inside out. Heart rate is a great one. If it's slightly elevated, it's very easy to see that something's not quite right that day, whether it's you're coming down sick, it could be menstruation, it could be um, yeah, either illness or even just a little bit more stress that day. So I I try to sort of adapt a little bit whether it's reducing down what I'm doing whether it's slowing down the pace whether it's taking a day off if I'm totally sick it's almost trial and error over the years of finding out exactly what works for you and that's why I have a training diary it's one of the best tools I think you can use as an athlete to see exactly where things have gone well where things have gone badly how to avoid making the same mistakes again learning then from my mum from my partner Michael like who've all been athletes as well and seeing like you had a training diary for yeah for years dad had one like everyone I know had training diaries and I think it's the best way to see patterns and how to avoid getting into that again but it is it's all about adapting making changes and being flexible I think you cannot be strict and just follow Monday I do this Tuesday I do this Wednesday I do this I did that I think as a youngster but I probably got sick a lot more often than than I should have done and picked up niggles. Instead of really listening to myself, I would just follow, this is the schedule my mum said I have to do it, rather than actually let's just see day to day how you're feeling and adapt and change as you go along. So that's definitely something I've learned through looking at these training diaries and just through the experiences of, of other people. Yeah. And Liz, do you, I mean, obviously you're not um, you're a former runner, but you presumably still run. Do you still do kind of... Oh, yeah, I run yeah. every day. I was out yeah. this morning. Um, Ailish hasn't been out this morning. Out, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but um, the, thing, the thing about training is recovery, really. You know, you need to get your recovery strategy right because if you don't recover, then you can't push hard. And 
train well. So, you know, it's really key to make sure that your nutrition, your sleep is all a focus on your training plan as well. You know, the easiest part is putting one foot in front of the other and getting out the door. But it's actually how you recover well after you've pushed yourself. And, you know, it's being very, very in tune with your body and and learning the telltale signs and I think Ailish has learnt that the hard way I work with athletes a lot with my you know the athletes that I work with and um, you know if it's five beats up you change a session it's as simple as that but Ailish has had like you know she had a problem with um, heart palpitations and things like this so there's a lot of health issues that have been more sort of prevalent to Ailish in her training that you know she's really clued up with you know she doesn't even need to sort of really look at a heart rate monitor anymore she'll know herself just from how, how the body's feeling and and I think to respect the body as well you know if you're expecting you know it's it's that old saying like if you've got a sports car and you put diesel in it and expect it to you know the Ferrari to go 120 mile an hour then it's not going to work but you know you've got to you know fuel you've got to recover and you've got to take care of yourself and that is you know your sleep eat and repeat Mm -hmm. you know it's quite basic Mm -hmm. and and a lot of people tend to ignore that type of thing of training rather than you know the focus on just hard training and pushing all the time because it's not just about that and do you think um I mean presumably you're in Doha aren't you Liz and and you're training in different parts of Europe and all over the place (laughs) um so do you share a digital training diary then or do you do a handwritten how do you do um I have obviously I have my own handwritten diary but that's just my personal journal I have everything online so it's it's easy it's like a a weekly planners up online but actually the easiest thing for us is whatsapp yeah right. we, so we are constantly in as contact. soon as i finish a session it yeah. relies on communication i suppose yeah, from both sides so my mom will set the the, the training and whatnot and yeah. as soon as i've done a session i'll text her to say went for an eight mile run did this pace felt all right or whatever the session was i give her all my splits and then you jot that but down then you're your really side. good you're really good at giving like ailish is like very like too much information isn't enough. Do you know what I mean? She she's very thorough and, and she like you know even before she'll do a session she'll say you know like um, my throat's a bit itchy or um and and so a lot of the feedback that you get is quite a lot but it's very useful because she's so in tune now. So like if, you know she was sick like a couple of days ago and like you know the feedback from that and so you you just change it completely and you just say well you know the next three days just going to be steady running. Don't even think about doing a session. And now she's itchy to do the session because she's already, you know, feeling better. But then, you know, the sensible thing is just to say, well, wait another day and then let's go. And, um, you know, she's got very, very good at just reading our body. And our communication is, like, key to anything, Being, you know, especially if you're not there. Michael's kind of become the eyes as well because, like, I can't see her running. Michael mm. does. And Michael's mm. got really in tune with her as an athlete now as well. So, you know, even like after a session, I'll occasionally text Michael and he'll say, well, yeah, she's looking like this or she's looking like that. And then there's that trust with Michael and myself as well now on a coaching level that works really well. I would say if I'm honest, though, like the one the one downside for me is that I don't see her in the sessions and, and that's what as a coach I used to enjoy so much was seeing someone of Ailish's calibre running I used to give me a lot of enjoyment just watching her and I miss that mm. um, and that's the one downside of you know like me being in Doha and Ailish, Ailish you know we're just so far apart now that I really miss the hands on coaching and that is that's a, you know something that I would you know if I, an ideal world I would love to be able to do that but obviously mm. we can't so you know as a I think too that over the the last couple of years, Michael's got really in tune with Ailish as an athlete. You know, like um, he's become 
masseuse coach <laughs> bike rider you know everything Basic. trainer hider yeah you know so and, and you need that support though to be honest like you know you need someone that's going to sacrifice to support you know you couldn't have two people of the same ilk doing the same thing so um, you know yeah. I think like the way he's developed over the last couple of years has been really really crucial in Ailish's success to be honest but very lucky that someone yeah. is willing to just live out of a suitcase for 11 months of the year and just go everywhere with you and when it's down the rain is on a bike yeah cycling alongside me on every single run cycling in the session like even on roads that you shouldn't be on yeah an like electric it, bike it's like <laughs> he's there every single day and like yeah i think it's very unusual to have someone that's willing to sort of do that to really support in every single yeah. part of, of this journey oh. so, yeah. well they say behind every successful person there's a team and you clearly <laughs> have got that team yeah. and I would have thought that what you're learning through this as well is, is helping with your own business the coaching business that you mm-hmm. run and Michael's heavily involved in that yeah. and presumably that is all remotely run yeah to be honest that's why that was the reason behind us starting our coaching business was because we all get asked daily for tips and how do people start running or they want to run a sub four hour marathon or they want to do the first ever park run whatever it is we would get every single day people asking for advice and we thought actually this this could be a business because there's so many people looking for and also you see so many people giving advice that aren't really coaches or aren't don't have the experience within that field so I sort of knew firsthand because of working with my mum remotely I was like well we could coach online and coach anyone around the world it doesn't have to be physically and in person because we can't be there in person right now my mom obviously has her own coaching business in in Doha but that's all in person and it works great I know it does but at the same time I know that it's possible to do it remotely so it was a way to like financially support myself because funding comes and goes like I was denied funding in 2016 and I made the Olympic Games I made the Olympic final that's all the criteria to to get funding I ticked every box and they said no. I actually challenged it because, I mean, they have a criteria for that reason. <laughs> it's a, so um, I, I, I appealed it and obviously I, I got my funding that year. But it's still, it's not a huge amount of money that's going to, especially if you've got two people, myself and my partner, Michael, trying to live off of that and, and travel and do what we do. So it was a way for us to have another source of income that I didn't have to rely on funding. If I got injured and I broke my ankle, I wasn't just going to get tossed to the side so um it was nice it was almost that side of things I thought right this could work so we started with just a few people but we don't like publicize it or anything because there's only so many people we can take on right now because we're still very much active and very much training myself and um, but we have people from all over the world we have a, a man that just joined us from Japan he's 57 we have the most incredible athlete we coach called Andrew he is trying to break the world record for 800 meters for um I think it's vet 80 and he's incredible and to be honest it just helps me as well with my own athletics because I see these people working summer we have nurses we have frontline doctors we have full-time mums every walk alive and yet they're going out for their 10 mile run on a Sunday and they're getting up and doing their training and for me I like I've got no excuse like I'm a full-time athlete it's my job but it's I have all the hours in the day but these people have got family work other commitments and they're still getting out the door to train so it's been nice on that side as well I feel like again when I'm running and doing my own training 
it's sort of a, a larger community that I'm sort of doing it for and they're great like they message me after every race saying that they watched it or they were inspired by it and they've been motivated for their own training so it's nice it's like a full circular thing but it's been um yeah it's been really good and we've we've enjoyed doing it so far fantastic I can't even imagine if you could just get through to you about a running question and say <laughs> say English you know I'm having that's just amazing but I can see I can see how genuine you are um obviously listeners can't see you but I can see how passionate you are about that and normal people doing that kind of activity the activity you absolutely love yeah because at the end of the day it's something that I love to do yeah I'm passionate about running so it's nice to see other people enjoying what you do and I think a lot of people sometimes will message and say oh I don't think I'm like elite enough to join you we have to message back to say no it's not about being elite it's about every single person who's got their own personal best it doesn't matter if you're running three hours for a marathon or you're running five hours for a marathon like that's your best time and we're here to try and help you improve that time it's not about winning medals and going to the olympic games i mean for some don't get me wrong we have some really talented junior athletes we have a young girl called ella who's just joined uh, oxford university and she's super talented there's no doubt in my mind that one day she'll go to a commonwealth Games. she'll make a gb team but at the same time we have people starting for the very first time they've never done a park run that's their goal to make the local park run and to enjoy it so for me it's just nice that yeah there's so many people enjoying something that i i love to do I was very distressed to read that online abuse has become very much part of your everyday life and you've been exceptionally brave and spoken out about this. Can you tell me a little bit more? Because this is a topic that I know our audience will be interested in hearing about. Uh, yeah, like it's, it's, it has become an everyday occurrence that to me now it's just normal, which is, I suppose, quite a bit of a shame that that has become uh that we just normalize it we think that's totally fine for people to sit behind their keyboards uh with no profile picture no real name and just write nonsense to other people online obviously a lot of mine is targeted towards the way I look so my appearance and my body shape and being skinny being a bad role model for young children that really really me off because this is just me like I literally I mean my mom you've seen me from when I was little like I literally I've, I look the same I'm just taller and <laughs> uh, just look Foster. a little bit older <laughs> but my body shape like this is me like I'm never gonna have big boobs a big bum I'm never gonna look like the Kardashians like that's just not me and there's loads of kids that look like me too but they go and they go online and they look and think they always compare themselves to other people um, and that's why they feel the need to go and change their bodies or change their appearances. And I think for me, I was lucky I had the running club that there was loads of us that sort of looked alike. And it's taken me probably till now as an adult to actually appreciate my body and be happy with it and not feel embarrassed by it or not shy away from it and wear a bikini because I can't because I want to wear a bikini I can wear a bikini why shouldn't I but certainly when I was 13, 14, 15, even as a, a teenager going through high school, would I have ever uh, worn anything like that no way I wouldn't have done because I was I looked like a little boy I didn't look like the other girls so now when I get trolled I think I stand up every so often I mean I don't reply to every single one of them because I don't want to give them the time of day but I think it's important for young kids to then see to see me standing up to, to one or two people and say actually calling them out for it and saying there's no need for this like why are you putting your negativity on me like it, it's always at the end of the day trolls are there because 
sadness in their own life, whatever's going on with them, rather than it being a reflection on my life. So mm-hmm. I just want to make a point for young kids to see that. And I have so many youngsters message me saying they get bullied at school, whether it's their appearance, whether it's because they play sport, all different things. I had one young girl the other day, um, she's actually part of like the mentoring thing that I do, and um, she's left school because she's been bullied because of the way she looks and because she does sport and that to me is just like heartbreaking like it's so sad to see that that in 2022 this still happens like people still bully each other and essentially online is just trolling is essentially online bullying it's the same thing and so she was just saying she wanted to thank me for standing up towards trolls and saying making a point of it and that's why I'll continue speaking out because I don't care like I don't care what people think what what I look like or I've got a family that love me I have a partner who's absolutely incredible and loves everything about me so like he gives me a lot of strength to speak out about it too and um yeah it doesn't bother me but if it makes other people stand up a little bit more and feel a bit more confident in themselves to stand up against bullies then then yeah I've done my job it does affect the family though it does affect his parent and her brothers they do get really upset about it and um I think that you could never change someone's aspect and for whatever reason that they attack people on social media and that's the downside of social media that you know it gives people a voice just to say whatever they want but um, as a parent it's um, really distressing to have people put their like views on what they say about her because I mean I you know I gave birth to her and I know exactly like Ailish eats me out of house and home <laughs> honestly <laughs> Uh, you know, and I can't reiterate enough. She, out of all the kids, she's always in the fridge taking something, <laughs> and she's always been like that. And you know, and even as a kid, she was so either. she was so um, unconfident as a kid. You know, she'd be the tallest in her class, and she'd be walking about with her shoulders down, and her head down, because she, you know, she stood out, and she didn't want that. And you could see that. But I think people really seriously need to, you know, stand up and be connected and and stand strong against people like that because there are so many people out there and it's not through sport and it's not through you know we come in all different shapes and sizes when I was 18 I got told that I should lose weight or I'll never be a runner and you know that affected me in the fact that you know I I did stop eating and I lost so much weight that um, it was really unhealthy. And, and luckily for me at the time, I was dating Ailish's dad and he was the one, a bit like Michael, that sort of said, you know, you need to stop doing this and there was nothing wrong. And I eventually got back on track. But there's so many other people out there that don't get back on track. And, you know, people have to take responsibility for their actions. And social media is not the way to stand up and have a pop at someone. You know, someone like Ailish is trying to be a good role model She's not saying do what I do or look like I look. She's being the best person that she can be to give that message across. And it does not give anybody the right to say that what she looks like is not looking like a woman because we all come in different shapes and sizes. You know, and, and as a parent, affects, it does affect you. I was going to say, it affects them far more than I it think does. It me. My brother's like, <laughs> they see it online and I'm like, they're like fighting all these people. I'm like, you know, they're they're Aww. just like sitting in their pants at home. Like, just ignore yeah. them. And my and brother's like, 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 just leave it. Like, you don't have to... And to be fair, Michael's the same. Like, he'll be like, oh, just ignore them, ignore them. And then he'll see it. And then he'll start. And I'm like, yeah. he can't help himself sometimes as well. It depends, like, what sort of yeah, thing they're saying, yeah, if it's going on and on and on. Yeah. But honestly, for me, like, it literally makes no bearing on my life because I know I'm very fortunate. I think I grew up with my mum that I always had such a good relationship with food. Like, yeah. for me, I never 
made this sort of weird association that a lot of people do where they feel they need to be light to run fast like that for me was never a concept it was always I need to fuel my body correctly to get the energy to run well like I, I never thought about diets or but maybe that's because my mum had those experiences do you know what I mean she had made those mistakes that it never was anything that I felt I would ever follow into and I've always had a really good relationship with food I've enjoyed eating I'm a very greedy eater so <laughs> when I see these people making these comments I find it not funny but for me it's like it's just surreal because I know the reality and my boyfriend knows the reality so I don't really think too much of it but what I don't like then is when youngsters look at it and think oh maybe she is on this strict diet or maybe she doesn't eat or maybe she's bulimic or maybe she's anorexic and that's what annoys me because I don't want young kids to look at my body and think that I'm forcing it into this shape because it's not it's just this is me but I think I'd like to think that when you take a step back and you see that I've been in the sport for a decade and I've been competing at this level and improving every year year on year I've never really lost my period at certain times maybe throughout stress and things but never for any length of time um, I've got high bone density I've never had serious issues with bone density or osteoporosis anything like that that a lot of young athletes when they aren't feeling correctly they lose their period their bone density drops like they have a lot of issues so yeah I think I've, I've never had to worry about any of that so for me it feels a little strange when I see people write these comments because I I'm thinking, God, that's so far removed from what the reality is. But I just want to pinpoint it every so often so that youngsters look at it and actually see the reality. Yeah. They don't just yes. see the troll message and take it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, that, you know, like, obviously I'm Elish's parent and, that, and the reason I get really annoyed about it is because I know Elish is a strong person, but there's kids out there that aren't as strong. Yeah. And that's what affects me more than anything because it was the comment that to me when I was young that made such a massive distance that could like I had a friend who died anorexia when she was 22 and it really does affect people and you know and again she was told that she wasn't the building and I think that people really have to stand up and be accountable for what they put on and out there mm-hmm. and um, you know I, th- I think it's great what Ailish does I think you know um, she doesn't have to out everybody but I think every now and again she has the right to do it because she has to put that message across that they're wrong and that you know, that there is a, a good, strong message there for people to be happy in their own skin. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter what sort of ilk you are, it doesn't stop you being successful in what you want to be. I'm going to ask you, both of you actually, about some of your achievements um, and, and what you're most proud of or what's most memorable for you in terms of all the races that you've been doing. I'll ask you first, Ailish. I mean, that's a difficult question, I'm sure, to pick out something. Um, I think probably one of my most, obviously, this year has been far outweigh with regards to achievements um one like personal success of winning commonwealth games breaking the the commonwealth games record having my family there like my mum was there my dad was there my partner michael was there like friends jenny was there um jenny salmon like there was so many people there that made that moment the moment for me of my career so far the crowd i've never had a crowd like that over the last lap of that race was it was like a blur um, it was weird watching it today for the first time and just hear again hearing the noise and almost replaying that in my head. It's just far out with any experience I've had in the sport so far. But I think before that, for me, a, a sort of big turning point was probably making the, the Olympic Games in London. 2012 was my first Olympics, home Olympics. My first sort of proper GB team as well at the age of 21. And I was sort of thrown into this uh, deep end of sport. I just 
qualified sort of out of nowhere. I'd come back from surgery after being told I wouldn't run again and here I was standing in the Olympic Games. The whole thing was just far, uh, very overwhelming. Wasn't prepared for it in any way, shape or form. The media side, the journalist side, the social media side, the social media was sort of just kicking off then and with Twitter and it was just insane, the noise in that stadium. Um, I could hear it from my balcony when Jess Ennis walked in the stadium that first day. I was petrified, like I was absolutely petrified. I've never been so scared in my life knowing that that was the stadium we're about to walk into. It was like, I don't know, some Roman Empire when you walk into your death, like that's the way it felt for me. And so for me, that's always a memory that will stay with me, just that that was the biggest moment in my career and it happened so quickly. It wasn't a successful one, I had an awful race, but it's just something I'll always remember for the rest of my life. I think no, everyone always remembers their first Olympic Games and even more so when it's a home Olympics. Like that truly was special for me. Um, Liz, for you? Um, I don't really think I can put um, one moment in time as being the most memorable, to be honest. Um, I was very much a, a very time-orientated person, so when I broke world records, that to me was the, the top of my thing. Like, you know, um, you know, I had world records for 8K, 5K, 10K, the 5K indoors, half marathon, and I held them for, like, 12 years. So for me, it's testament to being, like, the fastest woman in the world for a period of 10 to 12 years over those distances was quite important to me. But um, I suppose, like, being world champion, you know, fastest women in the world, whatever. But to me, it's always been about, like, personal goals and um, just being the best that I could be. And I think that I've been really, really fortunate to have, you, you know, won a lot of races and, you know, some quite good, like London Marathon, New York was amazing. Um, I couldn't actually say any one was any better than the other, but I think that there always comes a time where you cross that sort of bridge to from a nobody into somebody. And for me, uh, the Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh was a massive thing for me because I was a little nobody that nobody knew and I, you know, I, I won that race out of sort of nowhere and, you know, go back and have like press sitting outside your house and you're like, why are they there? You know, and you just couldn't get your head around it. Like, you, you know, I, one minute I was just like a nobody and then the next it was like, oh, you're, you know, this, uh, you know, most important athlete in the UK sort of thing. And, um, and it, you know, I had no training in PR or talking to cameras and it was a really, really hard, adjustment to suddenly be you know thrown into this limelight but it was a massive you know it was a massive stepping stone for me to to make that jump and um so I always remember um it's probably about the same as Ailish you know you can win as much as you want but if you've got nobody to share it with it means nothing and to have that opportunity like I had the sort of opportunity like Ailish you know in Edinburgh it was stadium full people shouting for me my mum my dad you know all that lot were all there and I think that that makes a win. You know, that that's when you share it with people that matter most to you that it means so much more. And um, and that's what athletics has given both of us, I think, that opportunity to... It's very unusual, you know, and especially at the same distance as well. It's really unusual. I mean, I, my proudest, proudest moment was seeing her win in the Commonwealth Games. I never, ever thought of it, but... Yeah. <laughs> no, it was cool. And is that... I mean, you're a coach and a mum... Where's the line? I mean, as a mum, you must have just been, oh, you've got tears coming in. Oh. Yeah, it's really difficult as a coach to, like, the difficult part is when things don't go well and you want to protect. That's the most difficult. I mean, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was when she had to qualify for um, Olympics and she 
pretty much tore her hamstring and we tried to get a redemption from running and they said no. She had to run the British Championships and every lap that went back, I thought, went by, I couldn't watch because I thought she's going to pull it, it's going to go, it's going to pull it. And she had blue tape from her butt right down to her leg and I just, every step was just like my heart was in my mouth and I couldn't watch it. I actually walked away and I said to Michael, I can't watch this because I, I, I was such a fear that she was going to just tear her hamstring. So, you know, as a, as a mother, it, and I think as we've went on, it's got worse, that um, as soon as she goes away, it's like I can't do anything. Like when she was a youngster, I could protect her, but I can't do that anymore. And I think that's why social media annoys me so much, because I can't protect her anymore. And so there's that development now that's gone on. But um, it's a hard one to explain for to see... Like, I always knew it should get a medal, but to, to win the same event... And to be there and witness it is just like I can't even. I don't even think you could put it into words. It's just one of those really rare, yeah. special moments that you know what you'll never ever forget. But um, what an amazing opportunity to actually achieve it and to see her do it. It was amazing. Can I just ask you about anxiety and race anxiety and what you do to combat or mitigate against that? Yeah, I got asked this earlier actually. The the conference. I think for me, nerves. The only race I was like super, super nervous for was the London Olympics, just because I'd been used to like Scottish University Championships in Grangemouth, and there was about five people in the stand. Um, and then all of a sudden, I was just in the Olympic Stadium with I don't know seventy thousand people all screaming for British, uh, British athletes, and it was just a very big step up. I didn't have that natural progression, like or even like you, like you make a sort of junior team and then you make a sort of a European team and then you make the world and then you go to the Olympic Games. For me, I went from nothing to all of a sudden at the Olympics. So I was just super, super nervous there and I let everything... I remember being on the start line and not really even wanting to be there. I was just so scared. And it's funny, my boyfriend was at the Olympics as well, but we didn't even speak to each other. Like, we didn't know each other then. And he had the exact same. He felt like for him, he'd been to Beijing and he'd already had an Olympic experience, but even for him being a second Olympics, it was still overwhelming because it was a home. And that was what really made it different to every other championship he'd been at. And we both said the exact same. We felt like it was so overwhelming that our performances just weren't weren't good at all because we wasted so much energy just being so nervous about it. But I felt like that actually, I learned a lot from that because I felt like from there on, it was never going to be that again. I was never going to have to go through that heightened pressure ever again. Uh, there was never going to be anything as big as that either. We're never going to have another home Olympic Games with that many people in the crowds. Um, so from there, it's really been experience, I think, of how to handle that and not let it take away from your performance. And that's the only thing I can think of, to be honest, is just doing it, over, practicing it over and over again, throwing yourself into these races. And for me, I now like I can totally channel out everyone around me. I have music to warm up, but when I'm in the stadium, like I don't really hear what's going on. In all honesty, I think you're just so zoned in and your own. For me, it's splits. I suppose that mathematics sort of brain comes back in. I want to hit certain splits or paces or what lap I'm going to do this in. The whatever we've discussed beforehand, I want to try and execute that. So I'm thinking about that over and over again. I'll repeat things to myself. Like I always chat away to myself on the start line, and people ask me what am I saying, but I don't really know. I think I'm just telling myself different mantras and different things to keep relaxed or to keep focused or whatever it is it just happens naturally when I'm on the line that's me zoning out and focusing on what I'm about to do and how I'm going to execute the race so I think for me is a lot of that a lot of mantras self-talk is what really helps me channel in and, and focus mm-hmm. and do you use that self-talk in training too 
Yeah, a little bit, not as much. I'll still chat to myself like one more rep or let's go, like you can do this, you got uh, you need to hit this pace or like little bits and pieces, but more in my head. Whereas when I'm actually on the start line and when I'm more doing my last couple of strides, I'll speak it out. Mm-hmm. I think just when I speak out, it then makes it more real. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I then listen to myself. It's almost like having my mum there or having Michael there. Like I can't have them with me. Michael can sometimes get in the call rooms, but in the sort of warm up, but very rarely. Like we, you need passes and you need to be authorized and all this nonsense. So like he's this year's the first year he's actually been at warm ups with me. Mum was there at the world at the Commonwealth Games. Mum was in the warm up with me. But when I go through the call room, that's it. You're on your own then. So it's almost like having their reassurance is like me speaking. It sounds like I'm like crazy, but it's like their reassurance, me speaking out is almost like I'm listening to them telling me how to to prepare and get ready. And it just makes me narrow in. The external noise doesn't really occur then because I'm just speaking. And are you, I'm very interested in this. Are you saying things like you can do this or are you saying I can? Are you be talking to yourself as if someone's talking to you by saying you've got this? Yeah, you, you. Know, it's you. always yeah. you, yeah. That's it would never say I. I. I've got this, I can do it. It's no, more no. you can. Or like, yeah, as someone externally Literally speaking, saying, yeah, so mm. Elish. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, yes. it's always that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. uh, that's interesting. And I think that, generally speaking, is more powerful from, from what I've read when it's uh, it, it's not you first person it's someone else saying your name I think I get I, I think draw a lot of confidence from others as well like I draw confidence from training I have to have like train like my training s- schedule and the diary that I have that gives me confidence when I look back and I see how well things are going that gives me a lot of confidence but I also draw a lot of confidence off of my mum and Michael and their like positive reassurances I think I, I definitely am someone that needs that and I need to sort of keep going over it and over it again and again to sort of give me that confidence. I'm not someone that drives a lot of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. I definitely need, um, with regards to performance and athletics, I always will like maybe doubt things or I'll never, I'm never someone that's going to go in and say, when a journalist asks you, how do you think you're going to compete tomorrow? I'm never going to be someone saying, oh, I'm going to win a medal. Like I would be like, oh, I like to do my best, maybe try. <laughs> like I would never go into any race like that because I always would be under. So that if it goes well, great. But I'm not like someone that would come in like dead ballsy and tell you I'm going to win all these. I'm going yeah. to break yeah. yeah, No, I'm certainly honest, not that you, type of person. You actually talked to Ailish like five minutes before the race when she's on that start line and that gun goes like a switch goes and she's a completely different animal completely yeah. different and you, you know she could say there that she's going in under the radar but she has she has like another brain she's in there that she switches it on she does actually yeah, yeah. and I don't and ever think about better other, than she trains. but I would never think about people will say oh yeah. like your mum won the, this race like are you thinking yeah. like I don't ever think about what people expect me to do or how people mm. expect me to run or it's just I like running yes, I'll, I enjoy it yeah. I'll go in and I'll run the best that I possibly can yeah and you've got an extra gear when it comes to a performing in a competition yeah. it feels yeah, like so. yeah I think yeah. so she, she's a very good competitor compared to training yes yeah yes. like she can she can lift her gear
game. A yes. lot of people, a lot of people train the same as the race. Yes. But Ailish can actually lift her game in a race, and mm. that's that's a really good trait to have. Mm. But I, I'd also say that you know to be anxious before a race isn't a negative because you need this extra mm. fueling in you to g yourself up. So you know it, it's good to be anxious, but it's good to have it in a positive light, not a negative light. So you shouldn't be anxious and dreading the fact. You should be anxious, but at the same fact really building yourself up to say this is an opportunity for me to run whatever the best that I can be and there's yeah, it's a, a different, a uh, yeah, different like the London sick. Olympics when I had that nerves that ruined me but now when I get nervous for a race I actually get really excited because yeah. I, I feel like it's going to go well because yes. adrenaline. it means yeah and it also it means something to me like there's been races this year where I haven't really been too nervous about but when I went to Commonwealth Games I was super nervous because I wanted it. I, yeah, I wanted yeah. it more. And then when I went to Europeans, I didn't have that same buzz or excitement because I'd had my moment. Like mm-hmm. this was, I was in Germany now. It wasn't as exciting to me as being in a home crowd. But I watched the German athlete perform out her skin and she won it. And for me, it was like that was her moment in Germany in front of her family, her crowd. That was my Birmingham 2022 moment. So it's it's using nerves. Like I still get nervous about certain events, but it's completely different. It's hard to explain. Yeah, it's completely different to what I was like, 21 year old nervous that was like just using all your energy and wasting it all now it's like I get excited because I think yeah this means something to me it actually means a lot more when I get nervous but there's also an honesty in your training as well though because like in 2012 you knew you weren't going you know, your your point was to get into the final. Yeah, you, you know, and, and the so there's a massive the, there's a massive the, difference to how that nervousness was in the immature, like not the not the developed athlete yet. And then you know, as you mature, there's an honesty in your training because you know from training what you're capable of doing, and that then builds confidence. Yeah, you draw confidence. You draw confidence mm-hmm. knowing that you've did X, Y, and Z in training. So. There's no way I can go and produce that. And so that's, and I think that was the difference when we went to the Commonwealth Games. We had been building and building and building. And fair enough, over the years, there's been little things that, you know, niggles that have went wrong or she's got tripped or this has happened. But going into the Commonwealth Games, we knew that all the momentum was still building. We knew that the improvement was still coming. And that gave Ailish a lot of confidence mm-hmm. in that race, mm-hmm. which was, was the end product of winning. Thank you so much. I mean, I could literally talk to you for about four hours, but I know you've got a training session, <laughs> to be do. honest, Ailish, which I you do. haven't done so far today. <laughs> exactly. So I would, exactly. don't want to stand between you and the track or whatever you're going to be. So what will you be doing today? Uh, yeah, going to head down to the track later today. Um, probably do some 400s. As Mum said earlier, I'm only just coming back from uh, a bit of an illness. So... And a two-week break as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a bit of baptism of, of fire on the track today. It's not going to be as easy as I'd like. But this is almost just starting the winter process and starting getting fit and healthy for um, for next year. Fantastic. Well, before you go, I always like to ask our guests to sort of pay it forward and gift us just three life lessons. If you were to be asked out of what you've learned so far in your life, just three things that we could gift up to our audience here today over the course of your remarkable careers. Any life lessons that you can share? Um, For me, a big one would be to focus on yourself. I think as a youngster, I always looked at what everyone else was doing. I'd always think I'd see young girls sort of training super hard, training like adults and think, oh, why can't I do that? I want to do that. Focusing on other people's achievements rather than just there's not like one size fits all within sport 
Um, and I can see that now as an adult, like I'm still performing now in the sport a decade later and loving it and enjoying it. And a lot of these youngsters burn out because they've done too much too soon as as kids. Um, so yeah, for me, the biggest thing would be focusing on myself, focusing on whether that's my own race tactics, if that means going to the front and leading out the race, not being afraid to do that instead of letting other people dictate competitions and paces and events and yeah just focus on yourself in in every way I think that's a huge part of me having a bit more confidence not worrying about what others think it probably comes back to a little bit of the trolling as well again focusing on you if you're happy your life is good people around you are good then it doesn't really matter what else is is going on around you my my three things would be believe in yourself trust in the process and never cap your dreams I've only said one. So <laughs> <laughs> the pressure. The pressure. If you haven't got three, you haven't got um, three. <laughs> I think I liked what my mum said with regards to never capping your dreams. I think for me, I would say not not capping it, but almost be willing to keep adjusting your plans. I think that for me, it's an important one. Like I, I'm not someone that would like go to bed and dream of becoming an Olympic champion. That's that's just not me. Like I never have believed that's a, a possibility. But it's almost like opening up that door a little bit and thinking oh actually now I used to think oh if I made the Olympic Games that'd be great and once you're there then you think oh actually I'd like to be in the top 10 and then you think well actually I'd like to be in the top five so you sort of keep adapting and and processing that as you go along so not yeah I suppose it's the same thing not shutting the door on on what you you could be capable of number three (laughs) you're testing me Uh, having other avenues I think is important too not just being like being a fully rounded athlete rather than just I see a lot of people especially youngsters that are super intense on sport it's sport 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 and if that doesn't happen their whole life crumbles around them because there's nothing else and I just I think it's important to have other avenues with for me I enjoy the coaching it's still sport in a way but it's another outlet to help other individuals other people with their dreams and their goals uh, the not-for-profit, again, the charity side that we do is something that gives me like different avenues to put my time in. I'm not someone that works really well when it's just running. It's very intense. It's too intense for me. I am like to have other things that keeps me happy. It keeps me human. <laughs> so yeah, I think have other, follow other passions and pursuits and don't believe that, that you can't be a good, do you, know I mean? you can't focus on the one thing because you've got other things going on it's possible to enjoy other things um, and yeah have other passions fantastic thank you on behalf of all of those who've been listening thank you to our brilliant minds Ailish McColgan and Liz McColgan and if you'd like any more information about Ailish or Liz and their remarkable achievements please visit the HTL website and search for brilliant minds in conversation where you can hear this podcast and find links to additional articles and information until next time thank you and goodbye goodbye